Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host Bruce Kelly is on vacation today. Hope he's having a lot of fun, but uh, we're going to have some fun here today with David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. We're going to be talking about some monetary policy issues and, and, and don't don't get up and walk away because this is uh this is gonna be a lot more fun than it sounds like we've got uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh essentially interest rates and this thing called modern monetary theory um and we're we're all gonna learn a lot i promise david how you doing doing very well thank you thanks for being here and for helping us out this uh this conversation was spawned by by something you wrote recently that I read about modern monetary theory or MMT. I want to kick it off with, here we are on March 18th, two days ago, the Fed announced a quarter point interest rate hike. Let's start by talking about Fed's the Fed's current policy and inflation. I mean, what's your take on that, that quarter point, considering where we are with inflation? Well, I think the the Fed's taken its time getting going here. I feel like the, the Fed kept interest rates too low throughout the last long expansion, uh, and they could have started raising interest rates before this point. Uh, however, I have no problem with them taking it easy right now. I would rather, in fact, they raise interest rates rather gradually here uh, so we don't end up in a situation where the economy it gets uh, you know, vulnerable and the Federal Reserve has to stop raising rates. We really need to get back to normal. And I think a slow but steady increase in interest rates would be best. So I have no problem with one quarter point. I was a little disturbed this week to see the Federal Reserve members think that they're going to raise rates seven times this year. I think that's probably too much. Uh, so we'll wait and see how that turns out. But so far, a quarter point in March of 2022, uh, I don't think that's unreasonable. I'm curious as to why you, you think... Uh, a suggestion of seven rate hikes this year is too much. I mean, it seemed a lot of people I talked to said a quarter point was was way too low and wouldn't even move the needle. If they do that six more times, wouldn't that kind of help tame inflation? Well, the, the two points to be made here. I mean, the first is, let's be clear on how the Federal Reserve is supposed to tame inflation here, because everybody says, oh, it's the Fed's job to you know get rid of inflation. And they really don't want to look at what's going on behind the curtain here. The only way the only way the Federal Reserve can tame inflation is by reducing aggregate demand. That means pricing people out of being able to buy houses. It means discouraging businesses from investing. That's what it means. It's a pretty gruesome process for the economy. And that may be what the Federal Reserve needs to do. But, but be clear, they can't do this without pain. Uh, so I think that's one part of it. And the second part of it is this economy is strong right now because we're coming out of the pandemic uh, we've got a lot of momentum. There's a lot of job openings. But as this year goes on, I expect this economy to lose momentum. And the problem is that monetary policy tends to affect the economy with a bit of a lag. So what I'm concerned about is that just as the Federal Reserve begins to get pretty tight here, the economy itself may be slowing down. And the danger is not a recession in 2022. I don't think that's going to happen. But we could end up with a recession in 2023. And the Federal Reserve might get blamed for that. And if they got blamed for it, they might stop raising rates before we got them back to a normal level. So I think they will end up getting rates higher in the long run, getting back to a normal level, if they are a little bit more patient in how quickly they raise rates at the start. That's a good perspective on, on rates. And that's going to move us into this thing called modern monetary theory. It, I don't know what the full history of this is. I know it has gained a lot of uh, momentum and attention over the past few years. Uh, partially driven by this book by uh, Stephanie Kelton. 
I can't remember the name of her book and I apologize, but uh, it is, it's got everybody talking about MMT and I don't know who really understands it. Uh, although from what I've read from you, it sounds like you have a good handle on it. Can you just kind of walk us through, and we want to get through this in baby steps because the, the key is to understanding what it is. Can you, is there a way to kind of summarize it initially? Well, I, th I think modern monetary theory starts from uh, an empirical observation, essentially, which is that all the way through the last long economic expansion before the, the pandemic recession, uh, we had huge government deficits being run in the United States and run uh, around the world. Um, and yet we never ended up any inflation. And the unemployment rate came down and we didn't end up with any inflation. Uh, and while the economy wasn't generating any inflation, uh, we did see calls for a big you know, austerity in Europe, austerity um, in the United States to reduce these deficits. And I think Stephanie's point was, why are we doing this to ourselves? It doesn't look like running these big deficits is causing any inflation at all. Wait, maybe there's a reason why running big deficits doesn't cause inflation. And if it doesn't cause inflation, then why are, we, why are we being so careful about not running deficits, not doing some of the things we want to do? And so I think it come, you know, I, I think theory, to be honest, is a little bit generous here. I don't really agree with the theoretical basis for this. Uh, but I think the observation was, if running deficits doesn't cause inflation, if it hasn't caused inflation right now, then why don't we run bigger deficits and achieve some of the things we want to achieve in social policy by running big deficits and not worry so much? Well, that seems like, a recent interpretation of modern monetary theory. That's that's Stephanie Kelton's take, but there's a history of this beyond just that, right? Stephanie Kelton didn't invent MMT. Well, well, that's right. But I, I think the, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't really think it's got, got very strong theoretical roots. Well, what's really going on here is that in the economy, well, if you back up to the days of Milton Friedman and, uh, and uh, you know, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, the idea was that if you have too much money, you're going to end up with big inflation in the economy. You've got to stop having that because inflation is always everywhere a monetary phenomenon. But then again, after the great financial crisis, we had huge increases in the money supply. Nothing happened. There was also an argument pretty much at the same time that running big budget deficits, that's what causes inflation. And that didn't cause it either. Um, now, you can say that there is some other mechanism going on here, but what's really going on is for whatever reason, the economy was not creating enough aggregate demand to meet aggregate supply, and that was pushing prices down. But I don't think that really has to do with uh, the, the um, you know, a faulty vision of how the economy works. I think what's really been going on are two things. One, over time, the economies around the world have become more disinflationary, despite what's going on right now. The, the, we have seen more disinflationary trends because of information technology. You know, information technology allows you with a click of a mouse to buy the cheapest thing or the cheapest car or the cheapest house or the cheapest airfare with one click of a mouse. I mean, there is no human activity that requires less caloric output than clicking a mouse. And that was pushing inflation down, pushed inflation down for 40 years. Uh, that's one thing. And then the second thing that's really important is we've had an, a growing inequality in the United States and actually around the world. Um, about 50% of the income in the United States goes to the top 10% of the households. And that turns out to be very important because the one thing that the rich do different more than any other characteristic of the rich in economic terms is they save. And so what's happening is a lot of income was ending up in the hands of the richest households. And instead of spending that on buying stuff, 
they were saving the money, giving it to financial advisors, putting it in markets. And so you could see financial assets go up in price. And yet there wasn't enough demand for goods and services and food and, and clothing and basic stuff. And so you always had this lack of demand in the economy. And that was holding down inflation, too. And to be honest, I don't think modern monetary theorists go into this. That's not really mm -hmm. what they see in terms of what's driving all of this. And I think that that's really what was holding inflation down. And that's a little bit broken right now. You know, I, I, I just don't think that theoretically the world has really changed. What, what you've got to take account of is changes in income distribution and the competitiveness of markets, which have tended to depress inflation for many years. All right, let's back up a few steps here. And I want you to to make the distinction between between the current Fed policy, the way the way monetary policy is managed now, and maybe has I don't know for how long it's been that way, and modern monetary theory, because it would it was as I understand it, it would separate monetary policy from the Federal Reserve and turn it over to politicians in a in a certain degree to a certain degree, correct? Well, that's right. I mean, I think that, I think the the idea is to allow the uh... The, the fiscal policy to drive the, the decision making and what, whatever the government produces in, in terms of deficits, well, the, the Federal Reserve will just buy all those up and that creates more money. But we've seen that with quantitative easing effectively. I mean, in a way, modern monetary, we've, we've taken monetary, modern monetary theory out for a, for a test run, but with, with all this quantitative easing, because what's been going on is the federal government's been you know, spending money issuing a lot of bonds, the Federal Reserve has been buying those bonds and just adding it to their balance sheet. And by the way, the interest payments of those bonds, they send back to the federal government. Mm -hmm. So that in, in some ways, fiscal policy is driving monetary policy. And again, it hasn't caused inflation up until recently or hasn't contributed to inflation. But I think the reason for that is not some theory, a different theory of how the world works. It's because of a you know the distribution of income and uh, other forces which have tended to depress inflation. And you know when in you know reading Stephanie's book, I mean her point is well you know and if inflation shows up, you can always raise taxes to deal with that. But my question with all with that has always been yeah right you're going to do that. I mean today we've got seven percent inflation. How many politicians have you heard arguing for higher taxes to deal with this? Exactly um, that would be zero, uh, and and that's the problem. It's uh, you know it's it's always very easy to spend more money. It's very hard to make tough decisions. It's much easier to actually to to, to make the Fed make the tough decisions and then blame them. Well, a perfect example of that is the debate over uh, uh, suspending the, the tax on gasoline. And, you know, obviously the price of gasoline is inflated. Uh, suspending that is, there's a debate about it. And even if they do, it's, it's temporary. And so you're right. It, leaving it in the hands of politicians to me, well, to me, it's a little scary. Well, it's, it, well, the problem is it's not just leaving the hands of politicians. I mean, this gets rather deep here, but I'm, you know, we, we, I guess modern monetary theory would probably presume a very mature political system in which people made logical decisions. Mm -hmm. If you have got a global shortage of oil or of gasoline, the last thing you want to do is cut the price of it because that's going to increase the demand for it and make the problem worse. What you do do perhaps is give extra money in one-time checks perhaps in certain circumstances to consumers so they can spend the, the money they're spending on gasoline or they're losing because they have to fill up their tanks. They can spend it on something else. It means they don't have to go with that food because they have to fill their tanks. But the last thing you want to do is cut the price of gasoline when there isn't enough gasoline around because all it's going to do is make the problem worse. Mm -hmm. And, and to, me, the, to me, it's not so much that this is really central to modern monetary theory, but it's central to the broken way we make decisions in this country 
uh, when it comes to economic issues, and that would, you know, bodes ill for the possibility of modern monetary theory ever being implemented in a way that would make any sense. Are there any examples of modern monetary theory working? I think they have. There is a point here, which is that so long as inflation is very low, the government shouldn't be too worried about expand, you know, expansionary monetary or fiscal policies. They shouldn't be too scared of that. And I think that I think that's a fair point. And, and to some extent, you could have made an argument throughout the last long expansion when the economy was only growing by 2% per year, inflation was low, you could have had a more expansionary fiscal policy in the United States, particularly after 2011, when we really had fiscal drag, or in Europe, in the European debt crisis, where they had fiscal drag, that probably wasn't necessary. But I do want to emphasize that the, there's a sort of an irony to modern monetary theory, which is that you want to achieve all the, this, this social good. But... To, and presumably that means giving money to lower and middle income households who aren't doing so well in the economy. The problem is that rich people, if you give them money, they will save it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't add to inflation. Poor people, if you give them money, they will spend it. And it does add to inflation. And again, we've seen, we've really seen the flaw in modern monetary theory just in the last two years, because I know we had a pandemic, which is the cause of it. But we reacted by doing massively expansionary fiscal policy, giving people a lot of one-time checks. And guess what? The spending on food went up by 10% in real terms. Now, that is a dramatic increase in food spending for a population that isn't growing at all. Mm -hmm. But it went up by 10% because a lot of lower middle-income households who were always living paycheck to paycheck suddenly had an extra paycheck. The problem is that if you, again, increase demand when you don't have enough supply, you end up with higher inflation. So in some ways, modern monetary theory only works if it doesn't work. If it doesn't achieve any of the social goals you're trying to achieve in terms of lifting up the poorest people in the economy, it only works if it doesn't help them. Because if it does help them, then you end up with excess demand for goods and services. You end up with inflation anyway. You know, it's, I mean, it's a nice idea. It's a, it's a nice aspiration. But the reality is the economy grows in the long run because of productivity. Sure, we shouldn't spend unnecessary time with excessive unemployment. But we're certainly not at that point right now. And we haven't been at that point really for quite some time, apart from uh, the sort of the year immediately after the pandemic. Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, and I apologize. I'm not. I'm. I'm not saying you're not answering my questions. But I, as we discussed prior, I'm gonna keep going back to this. this these juxtapositions here. All right. Um, sure. Fed policy, as as I understand it, my my most basic uh, economic education, economics education, is that the Fed has a dual mandate of of managing <clears throat> inflation and unemployment. Inflation target. The inflation target is usually, uh, I guess, stated at around two percent. The way they do that is by adjusting the, the overnight, the short-term interest rate that that banks pay to borrow money, right? How does and you may or may not agree with my dual mandate because I've heard other people say there are actually three mandates, and you can tell me about that. I'm happy to hear it. But how would modern monetary theory differ from the Fed policy that I just described? Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't differ from it in that modern monetary theorists would say you can you can have that dual mandate, uh, but don't assume that by having a very expansionary fiscal policy or keeping interest rates low that you're going to add to inflation. So it's very much a you can you can actually have your cake and eat it here in this modern economy. Um, if the if you've got not enough demand in the economy for whatever reason, then the this federal government can step in and buy more stuff and they can issue more bonds. The Federal Reserve can buy those bonds. I suppose what that does mean is you end up with a flatter yield curve because you're not really talking about t- uh, asking the Federal Reserve to cut short-term interest rates. You're simply saying, okay, 
please buy all these long-term bonds. And by putting all that demand into the, into the bond market, the long end, you tend to push down long-term interest rates. You end up with a flatter yield curve. You're actually reducing long-term interest rates. But that can fit into a dual mandate uh, framework. The, it's just that the argument that modern monetary theorists would say is if you've got excess supply in the, in the economy, if you've got lots of unemployed resources in the economy, then you can actually have an expansionary fiscal policy, pay for it by having the, the, the Federal Reserve buy all these bonds, keep long-term interest rates low, and you can still have low inflation because you're not going to have high inflation until you push up against the, the resource constraints of the economy itself. Don't we all, aren't we already employing a certain amount of modern monetary theory? Well, yes, we are. And I think that, I think these last few years will be very interesting. If you take the last, you know, five or six years uh, together, they're an interesting example of modern monetary theory appearing to work and then modern monetary theory appearing to fail. So in the late part of the last decade, before the pandemic, we had chronically low inflation. The Federal Reserve just couldn't get the inflation rate up to 2%, whatever it did. And again, I think this is because of a lot of global competition and the fact that a lot of rich people were taking the money they were getting from the economy and buying financial assets instead of goods and services. And so that wasn't giving you goods and services inflation. In that environment, you could have done quantitative easing. And the Federal Reserve did do quantitative easing to try to stimulate the economy. I don't know that it stimulated the economy a lot, but you certainly did have the Federal Reserve buying bonds as the government was issuing them. Uh, and and you certainly didn't end, end up with high in, inflation. What you didn't achieve, though, is you didn't achieve a lot of the social objectives that I think the proponents of modern monetary theory uh, would like to achieve. After the pandemic, during the pandemic and after the pandemic, we actually had a lot of fiscal policy, which again was paid for by the Federal Reserve, by buying government bonds, in, all, in the form of these one-time checks, enhancement to unemployment benefits, unemployment benefits to gig workers. And so the money was actually going to people who really needed it. And people who, who really were very thankful to have a way of buying more stuff and uh, who didn't have to worry about where the next meal was going to come from. But the result of that was to push up the demand for used cars, for food, for apparel, uh, for electronics. And that's where all the inflation is coming from, uh, because we've, we had a shortage of supply, but also we've had an increase in the demand for stuff because people who wouldn't normally be able to afford to buy stuff suddenly have the money to buy stuff. They tried to do it, but it wasn't there. So the price goes up. And so it, it, it really, it, it, again, the odd thing about modern, modern monetary theory is if the goal really is to help people at the lower end who are being left behind in this economy, modern monetary theory can only work if it doesn't work, if it doesn't actually achieve that goal. If it achieves that goal, you're going to end up with inflation and you're going to have to quit the experiment. And that's really what the Federal Reserve is kind of doing right now as it, as it decides, you know, in the next month or two, it's going to decide to reduce its balance sheet. So it's going to put modern monetary theory in reverse here. It's going to be selling bonds back into the market or reducing its holdings of treasury bonds uh, because it wants to kill inflation. What's driving the appeal of modern monetary theory? I mean, it, it seems like it's a it's more of a liberal cause because of the things you talked about to, to help people at the bottom and stuff. I mean, is it that or is there more to it than that? No, it's, it's a classic free lunch. You know, it's, it's in some ways, it's not modern monetary theory. It's old monetary nonsense. And we've seen it over the <laughs> centuries. I remember you go back three centuries ago and watch Paris under the days of John Law and the, and the uh, Bank de Paris and, and, or the, and uh, the French National Bank. And, you know, he just printed a lot of paper money and they had a huge boom. But the problem is the economy can only produce as much as the economy produces. And you just pushed up, he just pushed up the prices. We've seen this before. 
so it's you know it's uh, I think it's uh, it's it's appealing because it's a free lunch. But you know Milton Friedman said many years ago that there's no such thing as a free lunch, and he's right. The one exception to that rule I'd say is there is such a thing as a free lunch is if nobody eats it. And what happened was in the last expansion, nobody was eating the lunch. You had not enough demand because people were busy buying financial assets, not buying stuff, not buying goods and services. In this expansion, everybody's really hungry for the lunch. They're all trying to eat the lunch, not free anymore. And that's why we've got inflation. Okay. I want to wrap up with going back to kind of our original, con- or the start of our conversation about inflation. You seem comfortable with the quarter point hike. I wrote a couple stories this week about people who are not very comfortable with it. They wanted more. And the six to come, you think that's the will will drip in there enough to to help. But if we're if inflation is at a forty year high, it seems like I I look at the the forty years ago. I you know it looked like the Fed hike. I think the Fed hiked rates twenty seven times in nineteen eighty. How, how are you not more concerned about inflation? That's that's I guess. How do you stay so calm? Because this it's looks not, like a serious thing. It's not that I'm not concerned about inflation. I just don't want to attack it with the, the very blunt and brute instrument of higher interest rates. The problem is I don't think the economy is actually that sensitive to interest rates. And so the Federal Reserve would have to ladle them on in terms of interest rate increases before they get any response from the economy to what they're doing. I think inflation will naturally actually roll over a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, we have a problem right now, excess demand because of a lot of fiscal stimulus, but you may notice there's no, not much more fiscal stimulus coming here. Uh, we've actually got fiscal drag this year. Um, and then we also have all these supply chain issues, but eventually those will, will work the way through the system. Eventually we'll figure out in a post-pandemic environment how to get stuff from point A to point B. And so I think inflation will tend to fade over time anyway. And the Federal Reserve should, you know, be gradual here. They should get back to positive real interest rates because I think Having negative real interest rates just distorts the whole global economy. I think it's a very damaging thing. Um, but they should take their time here because the, the great danger is what the Federal Reserve has traditionally done in the past is they wait too long, they do too much. And I, I'm just worried about you know if they raise rates very, very heavily here, then the economy slows down too much in 2023. They're going to assume, oh, we did it now. We've, we've overdone it. We're going to have to cut rates again. And so you end up causing this big swing in interest rates uh, you know, it's they can't fix this overnight. Interest rates work on the economy slowly, gradually, and not very effectively. We've got a certain amount of inflation. That is the exact result. It's the exact result of all these stimulus checks that we thought, both under Democratic and Republican presidents, were just such a great idea during the pandemic. That's what caused it. Um, and it's going to that's going that medicine is going to have to work its way through the system to get rid of this inflation. And the Federal Reserve is not going to be able to really hasten the, the, that process very much, but it could destabilize financial markets and the long run operation of the economy by being volatile here. So it's, you know, to me, the way I put it is running monetary policy is a little bit like driving on ice. You may find that you're, dry, you're drifting over to the left, but the last thing you want to do is violently is, is pull on the steering wheel to get over to the right because you just spin out of control. And the Federal Reserve, they should have had a tighter monetary policy throughout the last decade. I think they should gradually move to a tight monetary policy, but they should do it slowly and not try to you know, uh, add uncertainty to what, what Chairman Powell has already called an, an extraordinarily uncertain and challenging moment. Your references to, to uh, inflation working itself out, that reminds me of, of the, all the messaging we got out of Washington saying that inflation was transitory. Yes. So are you in that camp? And, and did anybody at the beginning expect it to last this long if it was transitory? Well, did anybody at the beginning think that the alpha variant of uh, the 
coronavirus was going to be it. I mean, the problem is we got hit by Alpha, then we got hit by Delta, then we got hit by Omicron. Mm -hmm. Now we're being hit by Ukraine, and we may also get hit by a further outbreak in China. Uh, this pandemic has caused, and, and indeed further level of pieces of, uh, of stimulus have caused an extension of the period of time in which, the mon uh, in which inflation is transitory. But for, to my, from my reading of it, the way to define transitory is not based on time. It's based on a basic question. If you go to order a new dishwasher, can you get one today? Or if you go to the, to the grocery store, um, are they fully stocked up on chicken? Um, if the answer is no, then you've got a supply chain issue and that's transitory and that will work through. If the real problem though is that wage growth is just very high or rents keep on rising because home prices keep on rising, that's stickier. And, then, and the problem is that inflation is a little bit like fresh paint. The longer it hangs around, the stickier it gets. And so I think that some of this inflation caused by transitory factors will stick around a bit. And that's going to take a while to work through. But still, you know, if the inflation rate in a year's time is 3% rather than 2%, let's just all take a breath. This is, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. If we've got low unemployment, we've got 3.5% unemployment rate, let's just let inflation work through the system. Don't overreact to it. Uh, again, it's caused by bad policy, I believe. Um, it's going to take a while to work through the system, but I don't want the Federal Reserve overreacting and over and over, you know, feeling that it has to absolutely stomp on this economy to kill inflation because they could destabilize a lot of other things while they do that. All right. Well, that's good stuff. Uh, voice of reason from David Kelly. Um, <laughs> I feel uh, I feel a lot better about inflation. And I think we all learned a lot about modern monetary theory. Thank you very much, David Kelly, Chief Global Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Thanks a lot, sir. Anytime. All right, folks, that was our 89th episode of The Investment News. It's uh, still early in the year. And we got a lot of great stuff coming up. It's going to be a fun year for, for us podcasting here. And uh, my co-host, Bruce Kelly, will be back next week. We will see you then.